Welcome to Hort Culture, where a group of extension professionals and plant people talk about the business, production, and joy of planting seeds and helping them grow. Join us as we explore the culture of horticulture. Hello, everybody. How are we doing today? I'm I'm pretty good. How good. about you? Good. I have a I have a really random question, and I want everybody to answer with a yes or a no. There's no other huh? explanation. No, you didn't spring this on us before, so this should be interesting. <laughs> okay. um, ready. I, I so I we're recording after lunch. I just finished my lunch, and I want to know if it, if you feel personally that it should be frowned upon or not uh, that I soaked up the miso like liquid of my ramen with a uh homemade like southern biscuit like is that like too much cross I think you answered the, you provided the answer with the question you said southern biscuit which everything is gravy to a southern biscuit you see so and, I think and it's perfectly fine ray can't follow directions yes or no ray Yes. Oh, yes, it is fine. Yeah, yeah. It's all fine. acceptable, right? I was like, yeah. I was like, yes. I mean, I have this biscuit, and I have all of well, this that's, delicious broth. You can't I answer anything like... with the word biscuit in it with a single single that's word. That's called fusion, Alexis. <laughs> yeah, you take that down to Asheville, and you could sell that biscuit for eighteen ninety nine. You can. And uh, Alexis is a food DJ. She is a mix master. All of a sudden. Oh. Ooh, that was good. Yeah, you're really rethinking the Southern cuisine foodscape. Food way. I mean, it's, it's, it's broth, so it's just you know, it's just miso broth. Whatever, it's fine. Yeah, anyway, you're building connections right there. There you building. go. When, when is your book coming out? When's your cookbook coming out? <laughs> um, you can find it at tiny.url. Um, <laughs> at Southern, Southern Fusion. Fusion. Yes. You can find it at nope. buybitcoin.com. <laughs> yes. Please send me all of your Venmo money. Thanks. Or pay me in biscuits. I mean, what's the platform if you pay in biscuits? Um. I mean, I don't know. Biscuitbelly.com? I don't know. Ooh, yeah. I think that is a thing, though, actually. Buttermilk Biscuit Belly, belly Biscuit? Oh, Butter sounds like coin. more of like a roadside stand situation. You know, biscuits. I mean, if we can, we talk, we've talked oh, about marketing on this podcast before, so if we can market this, I feel like we might be able to market just about anything. The best donuts I've ever had have come from the side of a road, so I'm just saying. Oh, God. Were they like just... Like in the like ditch? In or? a ditch, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like literally, I thought it was like a donut <laughs> plant and I just like plucked this little. No. Um, That's why your microbiome is so strong. Yeah. <laughs> is it though? Donuts. Is it? Ditch, ditch donuts. donuts. Well, nice. fine, fine dining to me is gas station food, so nobody should talk to me about fine dining. Yeah, Ray uh, eats gas station sushi, so let's not talk I do. about I do. Uh, and you get extra points if it's like a taco salad or a tuna salad base. Tuna salad, you get extra points for survival. Wow. <laughs> I mean, some of that stuff is good, you all, especially if, you know, Southern cuisine. There's biscuits and gravy and all sorts Any miso of involved at all in that? Or yeah, no miso, miso dizzy and sick after eating there. <laughs> Got it. I know. On that note, we probably should uh, veer into greener pastures, I suppose. Oh. All right. What are we chatting about today, friends? I mean, I know, but do you know? Is this a quiz? Um, is this a quiz? Is this another yes or no question? Yes. yes. What is crop rotation, Alex? Alex, thank you. <laughs> Alexa has ruined my life. Amazon has ruined my life in that way. Um, I am no longer known by the extra two letters of my you name. You should not say that on the podcast. You just triggered like maybe. I did. I'm sorry. Nobody else is ever yeah. going to hear this. Well, if you think uh, you got it rough, Brett's actually my middle name. My first name is Siri, but I had to go. Yeah. Yikes. You, yeah. That's a tough one. That's a tough hand. I had to, yeah, I had to change it up about, you know, That's iPod weird. one. 
middle name is Hey Google. So there you go. <laughs> oh, we have very free spirited well, parents. Yes, we're very, very technologically savvy. Well, crop rotation, that's what we're talking oh. about today. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, so before we before we jump into this, because you all are all of these you know plant nerds, and I'm I'm an honorary plant nerd. I just want to make sure I've heard this term a lot. I think in some ways the early extension was built around trying to f- get people to do things like crop rotation and understanding that maybe you shouldn't plant the same thing in the same place over and over and over again. So when we talk about crop rotation, are we talking just about planting my corn in a different place every year? Is it is there any sort of like groupings of things? And it is just rotating in terms of the actual plot. Is that is that right? I mean, is that what we're talking about with crop rotation? Oh, man, you said so. If you could rotate it to a different spot every year, Brett, that would probably be wonderful. But that's probably not the case with especially most small base gardeners. They probably don't have that luxury. Um, of but the idealized that. version is is not planting the same thing in the same place every year. Is that right? Absolutely. And there's a whole host of benefits right. we'll talk about and reasons why you go to this extra effort for moving things around. Um, I've heard people talk either. about like plant families. Is that part of this or? Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to plant your corn in the same place, but it's all. It's more than just straight up corn or straight up your tomatoes. You know, moving them to a different area. You don't want to plant the same um, plant, same plant family. So, uh, one that a lot of people don't know is that a tomato is related to a pepper, is related to an eggplant, is related to a potato. So, if you mm-hmm. plant all, what that means is they all are susceptible to the same diseases, same insects. Usually, um, the same. They have the same nutrient needs. I mean, a potato is going to be, you know, different as far as how it grows versus something like a bell pepper, uh, but overall what they need. It's kind of like their cousins, right? And so uh, they all can have the same, the same problem. They're, f- they're first generation cousins, right? Uh, no and shade so we- to the nightshades. We've all got cousins. <laughs> <laughs> right. We all have cousins. So rotating those families is what we're looking for. For some people, that's as simple as just moving your tomato around if you're only growing one of, of a family. Um, but you want to kind of you want to move these babies around. Let them explore the garden, explore the field a little bit more. Uh, so this goal. is like if I had tomatoes in one spot one year, I wouldn't necessarily – I wouldn't want to put any of those things you just mentioned, peppers, uh, eggplant, et cetera, in that place. But I might put something like my squash or my cucumbers in that spot. Is that right, is that right. what we're getting at here? Right, because right. we right. go from nightshade family into a cucurbit family when we go into melons and things like that. Mm-hmm. And this is where I really love to direct people. Uh, if you're like me and don't like to memorize things, I mean, so many of these garden families are common crops. We kind of know like the nightshade family, or if you're an avid gardener and you're into looking up information, uh, you'll know some of these, but there's all sorts of uh, garden families that work well together as far as they uh, work into a uh, rotation. But this is where charts and things online can be so handy and you can probably readily find those if you use a keyword search such as, uh, uh, you know, garden rotation family, um, something like that. It's going to you're going to quickly get some pretty solid charts um, uh, to, to reference. And that's one of the first things I think that's a good starting point point for home gardeners that are maybe not, are not used to or accustomed to, to doing uh, crop rotation is to lay your hands on one of those charts. I mean, that's a great starting point, really good starting point. And so just to make sure I'm understanding here, we can treat 
plants that are in the same family as if they were the same as far as within our rotation. Yes. So that yeah. means that, and what are you, Ray, you mentioned there's some common ones out there. So I, I, we mentioned the, the nightshades. What are some of the other ones that, the carrot that, family, that you that's do have the, committed to memory? Yeah. Well, I am looking at a chart now that I should not have told the viewers this, but uh, there are, I mean, you know, cucurbits, <laughs> we all know those, those are vining crops. But the Maybe carrot, we don't all know those. So cucurbits, I mean, what would be in a cucurbit family? Common stuff. Like you're talking about cucumber, squash, things like that. Melons. Yeah, melons. melons. And when we talk about plant families, we're generalizing here. It's not like a panacea. It's not saying that if we do these rotations, things are going to work out perfectly because there are just some opportunistic insects or diseases that's going to cross over. But if you use these families, whether carrot family, broccoli family, nightshade, onion, if you work within these um families and set up your crop rotation, which, you know, we'll talk more about this, but should probably ideally be a minimum of three years, four years would be much better because a lot of these diseases and insects persist at least that long. But if you set up your garden or your commercial plots within these families, it's going to take you a long ways towards avoiding some of these problems. Not all of the problems, because some of these you know, diseases will cross over, you know, broad ranges of families, but you will uh, be in a much better shape than if you had no rotation at all, crop rotation. When I work with, uh, it's usually home gardeners that really struggle uh, with crop rotation because, I mean, that's just a stock answer uh, in the job is if you're having issues in your garden, disease buildup, like blots on tomatoes that typically are soil borne and they start in the spring, midsummer with rain splash and move up and that accumulates in the soil or rhizoctonium beans, things like that. Uh, our stock answer is to say, well, crop rotation. But I've worked with so many people that get frustrated. I don't know about you guys, but they get frustrated when I tell them that because they say, well, we have a small garden plot um, and we can't really do a lot of rotation. How do you guys handle that? Um, some tips and tricks if you have a small, I mean, on a commercial scale, we're usually planting large blocks of certain plants, maybe just a monoculture of one plant, not even a family of plants, but, and then you've got your rotation, your four or five, six year rotation uh, set up. But how do you guys work with small producers when they just have a little small garden plot? I mean, what's your I would say if you're, if you're talking about home gardens, um, you know, raised beds are a really good way to go because you can, uh, you know, raise it as earlier, compartmentalize you know, you have bed one, tomatoes, bed two, cucurbits. Um, I don't know if anybody just heard the thunder outside my window, but that was a little sketch. Anyways, uh, you know, bed three, you have your your uh, aliums, which are, you know, your onions, uh, things like that. One little note, it's easy. Sometimes it's easy to guess a plant family, right? Because if you think about how a squash grows versus how a um, watermelon grows, they're very similar, right? If you look at just the leaves and you didn't see the fruit up close, you you wouldn't be able to tell the difference a lot of time between these plants. Um, and so that can be pretty easy, but not all of them are that easy. So a beet is in the same family as spinach is. And so we know that those grow very differently, uh, right? But that's also in the same family as it's amar at the amaranth family, which is what pigweed is in. It's also what celosia is in. So the flower person here, celosia and amaranth. Um, as, as there's, the also, there's also edible forms of amaranth mm -hmm. seed that mm -hmm. uh, are grain staple for some people around the world. If you're vegetarian or you're just looking to expand, try right. amaranth. Exactly. So definitely look those up and that's easy. Just put like beets, plant family. I just did it a bunch of times because I couldn't remember what some of them were in. Uh, but anyways, where I was get, getting at, 
you can compartmentalize when you've got a small garden. You can rotate those beds from time to time. Um, if you don't want to do raised beds, it's, you know, sometimes it's just an ex- added expense. You know, you've already got your garden good. You've got uh, some really good uh, soil going on. You're like, why would I do raised beds? Uh, and you need to rotate. Really try and add something in there that's really different. So maybe you don't usually grow, you know, onions uh, or something in the, the uh, lily family grow them and, you know, figure out how to eat them, enjoy them, uh, but get those into your rotation every three years or so uh, and try and diversify your families. And so if that means you have one area that is not something you maybe normally would grow, um, that's okay because you can think of it as, well, I'm going to help my soil. It's almost like a cover crop that you can also eat off of. And we're going to talk about cover crops next week. Uh, But you can almost think of about them that way for the people who don't necessarily want to do like a raised bed situation is what I tell them. I worked with someone the other, well, it was, I think it was last year and they do a fantastic job with, of all things, heirloom tomatoes. And I thought, I'm going to have to talk to this person. They always have beautiful heirloom tomatoes, which are susceptible to a lot of diseases. Even if you rotate, it is difficult to grow heirloom tomatoes and they just have a small plot of land. Uh, and so I spoke with this person. I finally got around to asking them, how do you guys do it? Uh, you're, you know, I see your social media posts and your heirlooms are beautiful. The tomatoes are beautiful. The fruit is beautiful, but also the plants themselves and what they said they did. And they just had a small plot. Once again, uh, they uh, were already using a four year rotation on the raised beds, but specifically for highly susceptible crops like an heirloom tomato, they put those in containers. They were using fabric planters, 10 gallon fabric planters that they could easily move around, but they could also easily isolate those from native soil. And that's how they were growing those. They just kind of, that was a specific consideration to them. And they were, you know, sort of advanced home gardeners and market gardeners uh, to an extent, but they uh, extended their uh, planting plots with uh, individual containers. And that's just sort of the next level, even above a raised bed garden, whether with or without sideboards, you know, that that's awesome using raised beds, but they were using individual containers. And I thought that was really cool. And that's how they dealt with those prized plants that they could individually manage and water. And even if they had to move around, they could do that. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is that's a that's a good novel uh, way to approach that. I think I think a couple other things for the for the small gardener or folks who aren't, don't have a lot of space. One is that managing your disease in this year can help to prevent the amount of spores that get created that may cre- create disease next year. So if you're averse to spraying, you're probably gonna have some issues that will just persist over time. But in, into that point, it won't get all of it. But I think fall cleanup as part of your plan, like you need to get every scrap, especially of diseased leaves or diseased, you know, um, parts of the plant, you're probably going to put to pull the roots up. You're going to want to get those plants out of there and don't compost them, put them in the yard, yard waste container, etc. to get as much, because that's, that's what we're trying to avoid in part is that the, there's other things that you're not going to be able to completely avoid, but if you can keep your plants healthy and you can get any material out of there at the end of the season, those are two ways. I think that small growers, uh, uh, backyard gardeners might be able to help manage some of that. Um, but for the folks who are maybe a little bit larger scale and they have plots or they have beds, um, there's more than just, you know, the, extension people said this, what, what are some of the benefits or what are, what are the reasons why we might want to do that or, th- or things that we're trying to help encourage? 
so uh, Alexa, Josh, we, I think we were talking a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so I, I would say that. So we, we know this, we've seen this and it was, you know, really pushed. Brett mentioned, you know, extension really pushed this when extension began, you know, 100 years ago. We see this with corn, soybean, wheat, right? So they rotate these plant families. Soybean fixes nitrogen, you know, grass is a, um, or corn is a, is a grass. It, it's a very heavy feeder. So we rotate these um to help with nutrient management uh, as well. I mean, as well as disease and insect issues, but nutrient management is one way. So not only are we using those soybeans or, you know, alfalfa or whatever for uh, nitrogen fixing, but also different plant roots um, make partnerships with microbes. Uh, so, you know, corn may make be- best friends with, you know, microbes A, and then soybean comes in and makes best friends with microbes B, and then we have both A and B in the soil when we bring in wheat or we bring in something else later on. And so those help to fix different minerals, so not just nitrogen. They break down organic matter. Uh, they improve soil tilth, so different types of root systems, uh, you know, are going to do things differently. So uh, a beet, right, is a root crop versus something like a tomato that's going to be more fibrous uh, versus something even like a pepper, even though it's in the same family, has a really shallow root system. Uh, and, you know, carrots and turnips have a deep root system. They're going to bring minerals up and nutrients further up into the soil profile so that when you plant your tomatoes there the following year and your peppers, those nutrients are accessible. And so we have this kind of, um, partnership with, um, breaking down nutrients and making these partnerships with microbes, uh, but also improving that soil along the way, just by rotating that family. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, essentially, you're trying to help the soil ecosystem have a lot of diversity to it. And by putting different plants in there to form those different relationships at different times of the year, um, you're kind of facilitating that you're you're introducing and maintaining that kind of diversity among the soil microbes and all their different kind of metabolic processes that they exchange with the plant. So, yeah, it's kind of a, you know, if you just plant the same thing over and over again, you're sort of only feeding a one, one group of your soil microorganisms. And that just leads to kind of a less resilience and uh, a soil that is less healthy in the context of, you know, being able to plant different things in it or being able to provide um, different kind of nutrient profiles for you. And- these We're going to talk about cannot go one week without talking about soil. <laughs> and it's making me inspired. <laughs> it's like it's the foundation or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's important something crazy. And we're going to talk about cover crops, like I said, next week and kind of how you add these into a crop rotation, right? Because a a cover crop has its own plant family. And so you don't necessarily want to put, you know, even a cover crop in. Um, I don't want to jump too much into that, but that is something that you can work into your crop rotation. So also for some of those large growers, so like Ray, I have people who do like heirloom tomatoes, right? And they know that that is their money crop and they have them in their high tunnel. And that is what they have to have to grow. They sell them. They, they have their market cornered for that. And so they really can't, or I don't want to say can't, they won't. And it makes sense why they won't 
change what they put in their high tunnel. So to combat that, you know, constant tomato after tomato after tomato situation, um, what they have started incorporating is is crop rotation in the winter. So they're going to do their summer tomatoes every single year, but they need to have that something in that soil feeding those microbes, improving the soil. So they're rotating by using, you know, a cover crop, or they can go in with something even like a spinach as an example that they could harvest off of if they wanted to. And they're rotating those. So sometimes it is hard for some of our larger commercial growers who have a market for something to rotate between plant families because you need to grow that and you may only have one one space or two spaces to grow that. So it's really hard to rotate. In the cut flower world, a lot of our major flowers are in the same exact family. So the uh, Asteraceae family is huge, and that's the sunflower family or the daisy family. Daisies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, which you is know, also lettuce. Which is also lettuce, exactly. So it can be really hard to rotate out of that family because what you need to grow and what pro- might grow well in your area, especially in Kentucky, are all in the same family. And now there are other There, things- Alexis. Uh, do you uh, – I mean, that's a great point. That's an awesome point. I hadn't thought about it that way. But uh, what do producers do? Do they just let the soil uh, fallow or with a cover crop and just go away from it from any production crop? Or what's the best way there? If, if like uh, producers – I never thought about that. Producers may – it's such a large Like they don't have family. options – of yeah, what do you there, just is, there's does always, fallow come into that? There's always how, options, how but I would say fallow yeah. is never. I mean, truly fallow. The way I think of truly fallow is literally nothing on the soil, and that's yeah, never like, a good option. The cover crop, yeah, yeah. So, so cover cropping is, is can be something that you're rotating with. Um, mm-hmm. I try to encourage people who, um, you know, if they have the time to make money off of that area, so. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can. So rotating and trying to find another crop and figuring out the market for it. But sometimes that takes a lot. We know that marketing takes a lot of work, so it can be easy, easier sometimes to throw a cover crop in that you don't have to sell and then you till it in um, or you smother it or however you decide to get rid of that. Um, and you know, you at least are improving your soil, right? So you're not mining it of anything if you're giving back to it. So yeah, that, that can be one reason, but it can be hard there's always another family, though. Like it's just whether or not you're gonna be willing like to market mob. it. There's always there's, <laughs> there's always, always another family. family. <laughs> can I ask a Can I ask a uh, little light question from the dumb hot peanut gallery over here? The bald boy category. Uh, yeah. Well, do you all have a favorite type of uh, of like root structure that you find really beautiful and and cool? Are we talking about like paintings on a wall or are we talking about <laughs> functionally in a garden? Uh, well, you know. I'm, I'm a big I'm fan of the radishes that I'm using yeah. as a, uh, a like crowd a favorite. dinner crop <laughs> because I can just – I've been eating them as I go out. Like they're just starting to get ready and I get to go like, man them function. out of the, like the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. um, and then daikon radishes in the winter because in the summer when you see these like enormous um, just – pathways where soil and water and things can get down in there and they break up the compaction the and macros, I find, yeah. yeah i find that fascinating how strong roots are like right it's just it's fascinating the how how capable nature is not how we think we have our handle on it and she's like watch this johnson uh, grass <laughs> trials, <laughs> yeah rhizomes <laughs> yeah you know and we and we don't want to discount uh from a management standpoint many years ago i was on a production farm 
And uh, there was a lot of management into uh, crop rotation because, interestingly enough, we didn't have on the farm just one soil type or profile. And it really took, whenever, if we added anything new, because we had vegetables in addition to tobacco and some other crops on the farm, uh, but it really took a lot of consideration, and, and especially with new crops, more management to get a handle on rotating crops if you add something, because we were on like a six-year rotation roughly. Um to manage things and uh, the crops don't always rotate really well. So you have to take that into consideration. I know managers already know that that's out there producing something on a little bit larger scale, but you, uh, it takes a lot of thought. And you guys have already mentioned it because different crops have different root structures, they have different nutrient profiles, different biomass, you know, that's left behind and which may or may not add to problems later. It may help things. It may hurt things. All these are big considerations with crop rotation. Um, on a farm. So it's just not sometimes as easy as just saying, we're going to switch this to this field because I mean, I'm sure Alexis said, you know, when you're moving things around, not every space on your farm, I mean, is it completely uniform or are there's different spots for different crops? I mean, it kind of, all these are considerations to me that we had to make. So yeah, crop rotation, it, it absolutely has to be done to scale when you're larger, I think. Or else you just have a buildup of problems that no amount of variety selection or synthetic mm -hmm. chemicals is going to take care of. I, this, um, this would probably be just a good time to do the classic extension PSA of if you have not already or you have not recently, get your soil tested so that you can at least know where you're sitting. You can see mm -hmm. uh, what nutrients you have available right now. You can track your organic matter and all that kind of fun stuff across time. Because as Ray was saying, and if you have a big area, and I mean by big, I mean even a couple of acres, take a couple of soil samples from several different places so you can get a sense of what that soil type is. Maybe if the nutrients, the land use history is different or whatever, Yeah, the nutrients might be different. Yeah. So this this is a good time to at least to encourage you to, to engage with a little bit of science so that you can know, know what you're working from in the first place. Uh, and then across time, maybe, maybe think about working in, if you, if it's a, an area in your field doesn't have a lot of nit available nitrogen right now. You may be able to start out with something that doesn't need a ton of nitrogen in that area. Mm -hmm. And then think about later supplementing ahead or, or thinking about a cover crop as we'll talk about next week. But um, it's just that classic extension thing of <laughs> go get a soil test if you can. Yeah. I, and crop rotation, we've been talking about families, right? Rotate those families. Um, yes, absolutely. That's your kind of number one goal is to rotate the families. But when I started, so when I went from a really small space of rental property, um, several years there learning to rotate, learning, you what's know, what's really what, small, what's really uh -huh. small, for the, what's really small. Um, for context? I think I was 40 by 30 to 40 by 30 plots, 40 feet by okay. 30. So small. Cool. Um, yeah. uh, so when I was learning that and then I scaled up, um, and, one thing I, the first thing I did when I scaled up when we bought our farm was scaled up how big for the um, people out were, there. Well, it's kind of hard for to say. So I'm if we just talk about annual production, you know, hundred by a hundred right now. Um, what a lot of what I do is perennial production, tunnel production. So, uh, but intensive, just for but intensive, yeah. yeah. So for the sake of crop rotation and the easiest way to think about it in this these you know annual summer annuals we're thinking about or annuals in general. I kind of thought about it as three plots. And so in these three plots, I would always have one in a cover crop. 
um, of some kind, depending on whether I was cover cropping for a summer cover crop or a winter cover crop. Um, and then another, the other two would be in two styles of production. So with cut flowers, and I think it's, you could look at this from a vegetable perspective too. A lot of our summer crops are in one or two families. So if you think of um, summer crops, you think of beans, uh, tomatoes, and uh, you know cucurbit. So three families there. Versus your winter crops would be your brassicas. So those are your Brussels sprouts, your cabbages, um, your spinaches, your beets, or the, that amaranth family, and then maybe your lettuce, salsify, and those are going to be your asteraceae family. Okay, so same thought process with flowers as vegetables. So you have, I had one always in a cover crop uh, and it may have two cover crops in a row, might have a summer and a, sp- and a fall. I'm not looking at my spreadsheet right now to, to really say. And then the other two are going to be, one's going to be that, uh, you know, winter cover crop or early spring uh, and the other, or I'm sorry, not cover crop, winter crop and the other might cash crop and then a summer cash crop. And then I just rotate those through. So your cash crops are constantly moving and then your, um, your cover crop spot is constantly moving. So, so you're never completely mining out those nutrients. Uh, and then you're rotating those disease issues, um, you know, your insect issues. So that's kind of how I set mine up was from the get go. So just to follow up or to ask you, I know it's hard without a visual. Sorry. Plot. plot, So let's say plot one, Mm -hmm. you mentioned plot one, what Mm -hmm. is in it? Plot one right now. So plot one is getting summer annuals. Summer annuals. Mm -hmm. And then in when will that change to something else? So it will change to a summer. It will change to a winter. It will change to a winter cash crop in September, October. And then next spring it will go into. It will go into a cover crop of probably a summer cover crop of buckwheat. And at that point, plot B will be going into summer annuals for the first time after coming out of a rotation. Right, it, right. It may be plot B, maybe a plot C. Yeah. yeah it, so so yes, how far out are you? How far out are you planned right now in terms of these rotations? Um, about three. I mean, about three years when it comes down to it. Two and a half to three, uh, depending yeah. on how many cover crops. But it, you know, you could even go go out to four. You know, sections. And so when you're thinking about that, you're like, wow, that's a lot of space. Uh, but I'm only actively farming one and a half space at a time because the other is with cover crop. And so I have planned, if I know I want to have, let's say, you know, you want to have a quarter acre in production and you want to farm a quarter acre every summer, then you have, you know, three quarter acre plots that you rotate through um, and get those crops. Record record keeping is really important for you. Yeah. um, I used to think my brain was good enough, but now I care. I literally pack around (laughs) a notebook um, everywhere I go. Like I, this thing goes on vacation with me. Like if I want to, if I want to know at any certain time where I ordered something or what crop, what crop is going in next, I have it with me because that's the way my brain works. I don't know if any of you all are. You mentioned the notebook. Do you use, do you use any particular, you know, programs or methods for plotting out your, uh, your rotations and, and, and a question open for everybody, what they've seen people do. I, I'm still old fashioned and I like to write it all, all down and I like to, to map it out. It's, uh, soothing for me, I guess, <laughs> from an anxiety standpoint, I don't know, but, uh, I like to write Get it all down. a little chamomile tea, suck your thumb and do some crop planning. <laughs> do some crop planning. Uh, and I have several of these notebooks lying around from over the years, but, uh, 
I know there are some really great ones out there, especially when you're planning, you know, when you need to seed things uh, and then how those mix into your crop rotation. Uh, There are some good ones out there. Johnny's has a really good calendar uh, that would be helpful for people wanting to do crop rotation. Uh, That's Johnny's Seeds. I'm sure most people listening to this have heard of them. But um, And then UK has – Go ahead. I was going to say our friend, our friend Chris uh, from Grow Appalachia shared a nice little tool that they had put together in nice. concert with their site folks, and it's just a it's it's Excel based, mm-hmm. and I'm an Excel boy, uh, <laughs> as those who know me will attest. And it's uh, yeah, it, it makes sense to me, but I and I find that soothing. I find the, the spreadsheet soothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, I yeah. love a good spreadsheet. Don't get me wrong. I work with home gardeners and and commercial gardeners. They're into journaling. Mm. And those folks are not only very talented at using colors and shapes drawn by hand, (laughs) but uh, yeah, they're like looking at a beautiful English journal. It's not a notebook then for me. They said, this is our journal. Don't get the two confused. Yeah, Yeah, don't get it confused. A journal. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll show some uh, like photos once this, like for this episode. On our like our Instagram stories, it's all smiley faces and just squiggles. It's, it's like, a lot yeah. of it's a lot of colors. You all can't like see this listeners wise, but it's it's colorful. Um, oh, oh yeah. so you do use colors? Awesome. Yeah, most folks that I've worked with, they incorporate color into those rotations somehow, whether or not they're using a computer program or mm-hmm. uh, just journaling. It, it seems like colors are involved in there at some point. Did that say yeah. Mrs. Alexis Timberlake? <laughs> I, I think mean- it did. It's an older um, spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> early draft. Been, Sorry, oh, Tyler. I've seen kind of a combination where, I mean, you know, writing in pen out in the field can work, but it can also get wet, you know. So I, I used to be very disaster averse, and I always just had different small notepads that I would write in pencil with. Mm-hmm. And then I had kind of a master spreadsheet back mm-hmm. in the the home office that I would transfer things to. And it kind of gave me an opportunity to make sure I really understand what I wrote down while it was like fresh in my mind. And, I'm the opposite. Yeah. I take notes on my phone and then I transfer them into the notebook. <laughs> I see. Oh. <laughs> Digital <laughs> to analog. Yeah. I have to write things down too. There's something about that pen and paper process sure. in my brain that makes me remember things. And it's funny that I'll jot down notes on my phone, but to remember them, I have a notebook and I will write them down. What's your sign? What's your astrological sign, Ray? It's Scorpio to be, to be what about, sure. What about you, uh, Josh? Taurus. Oh, what are you, Brad? Oh, wait, he had a, you had a theory and he just blew it out Ale- of the water. Alexis and I are Virgo, both Virgos, but of <laughs> different, very, very different obvious. flavors. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not yeah. a pen. I'm not a pen and paper person. I like I like the feeling of pencil against paper, but it doesn't really. It just is a more of a tactile thing, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, was, like what I liked is that I had just some dumb little notepad that I could a lose because I was transferring the information okay. to the master sheet regularly, and I don't know electronic stuff like breaks and you sit on it or run it over and adios. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gets the job done on this, but I, I think keeping those records, what, however you do it, chisel and rock, whatever yeah. works. Mm-hmm. A bit extreme. Yeah, <laughs> Alexis, extreme. Alexis pointed out that she she's keeping, and obviously she uh, is operating a business, so it's 
doubly important, but keeping a record of like where you got the seed from and what varieties you grew and that sort of thing, it can be really helpful because if you grow, I know we, for instance, grew some butternut squash and it was the first, first uh, variety that we had that didn't get decimated by squash vine borers. And I was like trying to remember where, and then I finally found a note of where I had gotten it from. We were able to order it again and we've had really good success with those. But I, in the middle, in the one year where I couldn't find the record, I bought some from, I don't know, some box store and they were yeeted almost immediately. Uh, I was like, oh, look, they're, they're putting on squash. Awesome. And then just like somebody pulled the plug and they just melted the- into the ground. <laughs> There's a Bel Air Blooms is a, is a um, I, most everybody on here knows them, but they are a flower farm, commercial flower farm in Wadi, Kentucky. And they have... Like I always think my record keeping is like fairly impressive. Uh, and then I saw Anna's record keeping. She's uh, most, she does most of their seed starting. And so she keeps their, she does just like a, th- a three ring or a spiral bound notebook because she likes that process. But where I just keep a sheet that says like, okay, I bought all my seeds from this place every year, but then I have a separate spot where I say when I seeded them. She combines those all into one. And I, I was like, that's so brilliant. And every year she says, you know, adjuratum from store B seeded on this time. Um, and one thing I'm trying to also do in this, if you're ever going to sell veggies or whatever it is, and maybe you're just trialing this year or you're trialing something new this year, uh, one good suggestion will be to when is your first marketable crop? So whether that's marketable mm. to your table, as in I can make a meal out of you know the spinach I had versus you know just picking a little bit at a time, or when you could take it to market and you had enough to go to farmer's market, more than a bunch or more than that, or wholesale, or however it is that you're selling it, when was your first harvest and when is your last harvest? Um, I went many years without doing this, and every year I was mad at myself when I was trying to predict – when I would have stuff available. And so this year I'm keeping track of it. And it's not diff, you know, it's not a bunch of notes. It's just when I started and had a marketable crop and when I know when I ripped it out of the ground, essentially. Yep. And if I have yep. little notes to put out there, like I might put we had, you know, spring came three weeks early or something. So mm-hmm. that next year Alexis, future Alexis can kind of do some predictions. But I highly recommend that for you, even if you're just doing, you know, a garden for yourself. Uh, I think it can be helpful to know if you are behind or if you have other problems, you know, are you having nutrient problems because your tomato still hasn't produced and but you'll know that last year it produced, you know, a month ago. Um, so maybe it's just, it's more data that you can mine. Josh is a data mining magnet and I am as well. Um, I want to know everything. Data, data, data. (laughs) And a lot of it is just my own. For those of you uh, data hoarders and those of you that likes visualizations, I guess this would be a good point to, uh, and I believe it's up and going now at the University of Kentucky, is the uh, Garden So app that is spelled S-O-W. And it has a journal feature. It has uh, crop-specific information specifically to Kentucky. And it's a newer uh, app. I, oh, you beta tested I want to say it's released. Yeah, yeah it, it is. Yeah, I'm beta, I've been a beta tester. But I, I want to say that it's either released or getting ready to be released. Um, Since we're I think podcasting, it's released, Ray, yeah. I think of you more of like as an alpha tester, you know? 
I'm strictly the bait. I'm, yeah, I'm out there in the ditch eating donuts. I mean, I'm, I'm, at the, I'm at the caboose so nobody well, sees me. Sigma, Sigma grind set? Sigma yeah. tester grind set? Yeah, I, I'm strictly the follow-up. <laughs> exactly. But it, it could be a, another good tool to uh, either journal or uh, lay out your garden. It's just one of those for the folks that like to visualize and have tables and work with electronic things. It's just another tool. Oh, mo- uh, for, you know, and it's geared towards home gardening. Yeah, what's uh, that, Alexis? Really good that I just remembered is Mother Earth uh, has mm-hmm. one, and you can use like you can plug all that in visually, see it uh, from year to year. I I don't know. There is a paid feature, but I'm not sure how, and I'm not sure how much of it is free versus paid. Uh, it's been a while since I've used it, but if you like online versions and something that you can save in the cloud or print out, uh, and you can like use you know little eggplant like emoji looking things. Oh. Like what Hold kind? On. That is slick. <laughs> this but conversation it, took it. Yeah, I mean, it did not take any kind of turn. Oh, Sorry. <laughs> oh, you said eggplant emoji. I thought you said something else. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I thought you said that. <laughs> Just oh, yeah, I'm sorry, you out there. Sorry. Yeah, you know, I, it's probably worth. Sometimes. Not I was going to say it's probably worth mentioning that if you are a spreadsheet person, but you don't want to shell out money for a Microsoft Office product or don't have access to it, you can also always use Google Sheets. That's real common. And it's something that's saved in the cloud too. So if you, you know, run over your iPad or whatever, you're still, you're all right. (laughs) It exists. Um, Another, like we were talking about figuring out how to rotate crops. Um, We've talked about this before, but I, it's probably one of my favorite publications from UK uh, and it is the home vegetable gardening in Kentucky. For those of you who are vegetable gardening, this can be good even on a larger scale. So I think a lot of time when people see this, they think, Oh, I'm just, you know, a family of four and I'm gardening for myself, which is fine. Awesome. Great. But if you're even larger market gardening, it just, the way it breaks things down, it has great tables. All of that information is applicable to you no matter what size uh, you're at, it has all kinds of stuff. But page seven has crop rotation in it, and it gives you those crop families uh, and helps kind of walk you through, you know, that thought process if you're new. And this to- is this is ID one twenty eight. So if you Google, if you just Google I I the letters I D as in dog one two eight, you might throw in a UKY. It'll bring up the publication. You can download it anywhere. Even if you're outside Kentucky, they'll just tell them you know Alexis and they'll let you download it from the Google. Oh, yeah. uh, if, and if apparently if you do Google ID one twenty eight by itself, I mean this might be because I'm on campus. It's the first hit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Surprising. That's a kind of a vague descriptor if you don't add any keywords. If to that. you are in the state of Kentucky, uh, please remember that every county has an extension office in it and all of us have copies like nice printed glossy copies most of the time uh of this id 128 or Mm -hmm. if you are the kind of person who wants to see something in paper versus looking at it online uh they can print you out one and if they fight you on it call me or ray and we will mail you a copy and then they will go fight them there is no they can print one out for you completely free And if they're not, I'm in Boyle County, raised in Bourbon County. Find us, and we will go on a hunt for some. some. Do but not, they won't, they'll, they'll do be not Google ID 129 because it will activate Josh like a Jason Bourne type figure. <laughs> it's like a it's happened before. Movie. It gets messy real quick. <laughs> the Josh rotation. 
128 is a hugely useful and like covers a ton of ground in that publication. No uh, pun it's intended. Kind of like chapter based and it's a little bit more, it feels more, a little more narrative or like, yeah. I don't know, like it's, it's not quite as, it's a little bit yeah, more enjoyable. definitely much more pleasant to read. Uh, I would definitely. It's an accumulation of just years of research and years of mm-hmm. on the ground data from Kentucky, both Western Kentucky, Central and Eastern. So everything is so customized to the local growing environment. And it's one that it's one of the few that I keep at home just for reference. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's, it has there's, awesome planting charts and things in there. Yeah. I know that, I know that sometimes universities get a, a rap for being a, uh, uh, I'll just say shills for corporate agriculture and uh, certain practices, but ID one twenty eight and a lot of other things that exist at the university and an extension it covers some things that are not just chemical, you know, spray and pray kind of things. That IPM stuff we've talked about before, it covers that. It covers some aspects of organic production and other uh, types insect of things like ID that. I think, like that, yeah. yeah, insect ID. It's it's not just a uh, you know get your seven out and blast everything with it. It's definitely a really cool, well thought out. And there's a lot more resources like that from the university than people sometimes realize. So if you haven't taken a look uh, and you're skeptical of the, the university side of things, I would, I would recommend that one. As We're a, really as proud a, of it. Can you tell? Yeah. Um, so, all right. I want to kind of summarize this because I think we kind of, I don't want to say we jumped around, but we went in depth uh, on, on, some very well, we jumped around we jumped around but i think in the best way and i think with cover cropping i mean you're you're jumping your those crops around right so it's it's appropriate yeah we rotated between topics we rotated between topics so well okay so reasons to cover crop okay so we're managing for soil borne disease and insect problems by moving plant families out of an area and into another one all right we also talked about plant families. So it's really important that you know of all, you know, decide all the things you want to grow this year and then look up who's in what family, throw them into a little bit of a category there uh, and write down, record where you put those families at so that you can rotate them next year. Because I know you think you're going to remember that all of your tomatoes were in that one corner, but by the time spring rolls around... <laughs> You're probably not going to remember. And if you do, I don't know, you're better than all of us on the podcast because none of us can remember anything. Um, uh, You've had had friends who have thought that and forgotten, right, Alexis? Mm -hmm. Never happened to you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just just friends. I know a person. Yes, friends. Uh, Another reason to rotate your crop is for nutrient management. So we try and rotate our – we didn't say this specifically, but I'm going to say it now – our heavy feeders, so uh, things that really, really love a lot of fertilizer – Um, so tomatoes and corn, for example, we want to rotate them hopefully with a different plant family that are lighter feeders or nitrogen fixers and like our bean family. Yes. Um, we can also rotate for root structures to help with our soil tilth. So we rotate, um, our, um, carrots and our, you know, underground structures like beets with something like a leaf lettuce or a bell pepper because they have a shallow root system and they're going to use those nutrients in a different way. Uh, and then just overall do your best, whether you're a small gardener, large gardener, um, you know, market style, several, you know, a hundred acres, whatever that is of rotating those, plant families around, whether you're using raised beds uh, or you're doing, you know, mixing in your cover cropping in there, which again, you're going to learn about uh, next week or, you know, whatever it is, just try your best to write things down and move those things around from year to year. Does that kind of get the gist of it, guys? That's it. 
Yeah, I think you nailed it. Awesome. Okay. Well, we hope as we grow this podcast uh, that you will also grow with us. Uh, and like I said before, join us next week for cover cropping. And we are excited to hear you. If you want to follow us, we are on Instagram at Hort Culture Podcast. Uh, if you want to find us there, we're all, always uh, eager to hear what you have to say. So if you have any ideas or questions for upcoming podcasts, uh, please let us know. And we would uh, love to work those into our rotation. So thank you all and have a great time. Yes. <laughs>